0: Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap Up. It's Friday, April fourteenth.
1: Today's podcast focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV newsroom. I'm Jay Doherty, and I'm Megan Aftermat.
0: And here are this week's feature stories.
1: Strike Accord is WFUV's public service campaign. Each quarter, we choose to highlight nonprofits in the New York City area that do work centered around a specific theme.
0: This quarter, our focus is the heart of art. We take a look at organizations that use various mediums to spread kindness and hope in our community. WFUV's Isabel Danzis has more.
2: Hello, I'm Liz Hopfan and I'm the founder and executive director of Free Arts NYC. Could you start by just briefly describing what Free Arts does? So Free Arts uh, mission is to empower youth from underserved communities through art and mentoring programs to help them to develop their creativity, confidence and the skills that they need to succeed. Uh, We do this by working with over 30 different schools, community centers, transitional housing sites and different social service agencies throughout um, the five boroughs in underserved neighborhoods. Could you describe what some of the programs are? Free Arts has um, two core programs. Our Free Arts Day program is for children between the ages of six and 12, and it takes place after school, during school breaks and in the summer. And each child is paired with a volunteer for an afternoon of art making and mini mentoring. And the individualized attention I think is really important um, because many of the young people that we work with don't often have that um, in their lives. And then the teen arts program is for young people um, between the ages of 13 and 21. So middle school through high school. And there are multiple tracks. There is a portfolio development track where we help them to put together uh, portfolios to apply to specialized art high schools or colleges. Uh, We have a creative lab track where we're introducing them to uh, what different careers in the art world could be like. And then we have an internship program, which places um, students in a paid internship. Why is increasing access to art important for these kids, but also all the other programs? Why is kind of providing them with those resources important? I mean, I think increasing access to art is important for everybody. You know, what we're focused on is really um, building equity within the arts. I think we live in a city where, you know, um, close to 70% of the population um, are comprised of people of color, yet half of that population is in a creative field. So I think we're trying to um, really help expose young people to art uh, so that we can level the playing field and so that they can see that um, that art can be an important part of their life and their career in the future. Okay.
3: What type of barriers exist in the art community?
2: New York City is the cultural capital of the world, yet so many of the students that we work with, um, uh, you know, that are living in disadvantaged neighborhoods or attending schools that don't have opportunities, have really little or no exposure to the arts. And I don't think that people realize that you can walk into a museum, you can walk into a gallery. There's a lot of free, great cultural things. There's art every day on our street. And so I think that we're really trying to break down those barriers by introducing students, by introducing them to the art world, the art community, providing that access, to taking them to artist studio visits, taking them to museum visits. We've brought kids in many, many cases over the years, the first time they've ever walked into a New York City museum. And that's free to anybody with a student ID. And, and that should be something that should not be intimidating. And that should be something that um, everybody is, is aware of and feels comfortable in that setting.
3: And then I guess, kind of, how do you think that the people
4: that Free Art serves benefit from your services? You know, obviously the kids that you help, but also their families and just the general community.
2: I mean, I think, you know, exposure to the arts, um, I think does, does so much more. Um, you know, it teaches self-confidence, it teaches self-expression, um, it, it really, um, you know, I think, um, building social emotional skills you know building um, the ability to self-manage to contribute to feel confident I think being part of an art community um, for many young people you know give them something to feel feel good about themselves art should be you know has no barriers and art is is really helps level the playing field so I think that um, that learning about art and being exposed to art just really helps translate into so many other areas of, of a young person's life
1: That was WFUV's Isabel Danzis talking to Liz Hopfan about Free Arts NYC and their work expanding access to art in the city.
0: Every month, we feature an installment of Fordham Conversations.
1: This month, WFUV's David Escobar sat down with a Fordham professor to learn more about his new one man show, Asterisk Mark.
5: There's something about the connection with the audience that happens in a solo show that's really unique, and that's been an experience that. I have really cherished that's george drance artist in residence at fordham university's
6: lincoln center he's starring in a new one-man show at theater 315 that reimagines the entire gospel of mark telling it through the eyes of the earliest christians i brought all the questions but when we sat down to discuss the play i had to get to the bottom of something first before i even begin i want to know is it asterisk mark is it Mark. Tell me a little bit about this.
5: Great. Yeah, it is. It's asterisk Mark. One of the theories about why the asterisk became a Christian symbol was it's the first two letters of Jesus name in Greek. So Isus uh, Christos, it would be the I and the X superimposed upon each other, um, it was really a way for early Christians to know if the person that they were speaking with was safe. And the reason why we chose to do that is because uh, the situation that the Christians in the first century of Rome were facing was the situation that people in uh, 21st century New York are facing. So we're having it told with the voice of a street artist, someone who does chalk graffiti on the ground. And we looked at very early Christian graffiti there are two things that really stood out to me, uh, the fish, which is part of the the symbol that we're using for all of the the ways in which we promote the show and talk about the show. But then also the asterisk there there kind of is like this different
6: style to telling the gospel that you're getting at. And um i I, I guess why are you telling it through the lens of the earliest Christians? Like what about their story? Do you feel like maybe aligns with the message of the gospel?
5: Uh, I started talking with a friend of mine, a director, Luanne Purcell Jennings, and asked her to direct the piece. And the big question that we were grappling with was how did something that started out as something that was so threatening to the status quo, preaching the gospel, living the way of Christ. How did something that was so rebellious or on the margins in those days, how did that become something that winds up on bumper stickers or coffee mugs? And so um, we were looking at trying to get back to the original impulse of the gospel. What did it mean for these things to be good news to a people that were living under pretty severe oppression? One of the things that
6: I was always told, I think, as somebody who also was interested in theater is, well, the church and, and going to church in the mass, that was like the original play. And I'm curious of how that experience for you has been. Do you feel that
5: it's similar to preaching in any way? You know, in looking at theater history, it was Ethelwald of Winchester. He would write, uh, stage directions for a part of the Easter vigil that was called the quemqueritus trope. And then from that comes you know, the mystery plays, the morality plays, uh, and then from that we get the Corpus Christi cycle, which is much later, where from the beginning of the day until the end of the day on the feast of Corpus Christi, everyone is doing these, these wonderful plays and um, that tell the whole salvation history from uh, the beginning of the creation all the way to the last judgment. Well, we've talked about, you know, the
6: religious symbolism, the history. You taught me a little bit of Latin. I got to brush up on mine, but um, the last thing I want to ask you is just simply, how's it been doing a solo
5: show? It really pushes me to really the edge of my own training, uh, my own stamina, but there is something about it. There's something about the connection with the audience that happens in a solo show. That's really unique. And that's been an experience that uh, I have really cherished. You know, to really just have the audience as your scene partner. Uh, I teach acting at, uh, at Fordham, and I was saying this to my students in the acting class, that, yeah, you have your scene partner on stage, but you can't forget the scene partner that is the audience.
0: That was Fordham Conversations' David Escobar speaking to George Drentz about his one-man show, Asterisk Mark which is open for a limited run at Theater 315.
1: Fordham Conversations enlists the help of the Fordham community to tell stories about our world.
0: According to a recent CDC study, the national maternal mortality rate soared in 2021. These figures were significantly higher for black women.
1: WFUV's Maya Sargent talks to advocates on the front lines, helping women both nationally and locally right here in New York City. This week is Black Maternal
3: Health Week, which means it's the perfect time to talk about pre- and postnatal healthcare in the United States. A recent CDC study revealed that in 2021, there were over 32 deaths per 100,000 births across the country. For black women in the United States, that rate was twice as high. I spoke to a handful of people who work in the maternal healthcare field, and they say these staggering numbers are rooted in two areas patient mistreatment and underfunded health care during the postpartum period nan Strauss is the managing director of policy advocacy and grant making at every mother counts they're an organization that advocates for birthing people by raising awareness about maternity care they work with lawmakers healthcare professionals and community members to improve this care according to nan The U.S. has a higher maternal mortality rate than 61 other countries in the world. She says part of the problem is that we focus too much on the beginning stages
4: of pregnancy and
3: labor and not enough on what comes after. One
4: out of every five dollars is spent on the other 18 months of prenatal and postpartum health care and support.
3: She says over 50% of deaths happen a week after giving birth and onwards. Another large issue causing these statistics is that women of color
4: are not being heard. Being dismissed, being disrespected, being disregarded is over and over again resulting in critical delays where complications then become deadly. She says one in
3: three women of color who gave
4: birth in a U.S. hospital reported experiencing mistreatment being shouted at or scolded by a healthcare provider, being ignored, having a request for help refused by a provider, as well as violations of privacy and providers withholding treatment or forcing unwanted treatment.
3: Nan says the mistreatment not only affects the birthing person, but also has a
4: much wider impact. It's that person's baby, that person's other children, that person's partner and family, And it can be very, very long standing. It can have economic impact. It has an impact of of pain and often trauma as well.
3: Other experts I spoke to echo Nan's observations. Dr. Lynn Roberts is the former professor of community health and social sciences at CUNY. She is now the associate dean for student affairs. I talked to her on the phone about her experiences. Dr. Roberts says the disparities in maternal mortality rates between black and white women are rooted in discrimination. She works on the New York State Maternal Mortality and Morbidity Advisory Council, and she has had many women of color share experiences where they haven't been listened to at hospitals. She says one of the ways to address this mistreatment moving forward is to ensure that there are immediate consequences to hold these providers accountable. Lawmakers like council member Jennifer Gutierrez also want to address these disparities. She represents District 34, including neighbourhoods in Ridgewood, Williamsburg, and Bushwick.
7: It's like a cry for equity, right? You, don't, you just don't see these rates in white communities with white women being served by white professionals. These
3: statistics hit home for her as a woman of colour who was given birth in New York City. When she was pregnant with her first child, she heard about a woman who passed away a couple of days after giving birth at her hospital. As a soon-to-be mom, it scared her.
7: I remember thinking, like... This sounds preventable. And what are we doing? And like, is this a facility that I want to continue my my care?
3: Councilmember Gutierrez wants to ensure that all women have access to doulas and midwives. This was important to her since she was supported by a Black midwife when she gave birth.
7: She approached all of her care with me from wanting to keep women of colour safe. She constantly reminded me of things that I could ask for, things that I could demand, things I didn't have to do she felt protected and reassured something that like is very indigenous in practice and one of their core missions is to like keep you safe and give you the service that you deserve that you want
3: and there are specific services that women in Gutierrez's district want more
7: of they want birthing centers and birthing centers i think are very vital they obviously help alleviate hospitals in those instances but i think it's just a broader sense of care that midwives can really curate for or birthing people.
3: Council member Marjorie Velazquez of District 13 agrees. As a
1: Latina who is working to start her own family and I'm later in age, that's a concern I definitely have. For us, it is finding a doctor and practitioner who understands us uh, when we talk about our level of pain. She says improving these services will help fix the system from the ground up. It is starting at the very beginning. If we can save one child, right, if we can save one parent because we have this wraparound service, then we've won. Both
3: council members say actively confronting the maternal mortality rate is important to empower younger generations of Black and brown women who want to start their own families
7: demands greater accountability, that they feel empowered to not just ask questions, but to ask to speak to supervisors in the way that I think white women seek and demand care is how I would love for our Black and brown communities to to feel that level of service.
3: These advocates are working with the City Council to increase funding for maternal health care in the next fiscal year. Black Maternal Health Week ends on April 17th. But these women will continue fighting for pre- and postnatal health care for women in New York City every day after that. For WFUV News, I'm Maya Sargent.
0: That was WFUV's Maya Sargent discussing maternal health care in New York City and what advocates are doing to help women across the five boroughs.
1: And that's it from us.
0: But you can check out the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up every Friday for more features exclusively from the WFUV Newsroom.
1: And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What Daily podcast. It explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area.
0: And it includes features and interviews, just like the ones you heard, exclusively from FUV.
1: You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm Jay Doherty. And I'm Megan Aftermat.